want to pose a question to you today. Does God care about money? He does. He cares about what it does to you. Amen. Praise God. Because there is no treasure that God has but you. Praise God. We're going to be diving into this. And it's out of my comfort zone because I just don't preach on, on uh, finances or money. Hardly ever even take up an offering. We, we need to understand this because this is a major player in our life. This is something that we have to come to an understanding of, of what God, God in our life, what uh, role money should play because uh, they are uh, powerful. Money has a powerful effect over people's lives. And as soon as you mention it, immediately everybody goes to their power place that, that they're concerned about money. And some, some say, oh, yeah, I want more. And, and some say, well, I don't want that. And, and actually they do because they're always complaining about the fact they don't have enough. Greed is not contingent on how much money you have. Greed is contingent on your attitude. Amen. Me and Betty have lived our, our lives trusting God. And I watch a lot of people approach God like, uh, like people do on a business or in a job where somebody gets a promotion. And, and I try to explain this to people when they get a promotion on their job because this happens all the time and a lot of times it's very discouraging. happens in church. If somebody gets a promotion, if somebody starts being used, there, there's, always, there, there's always the trial basis that people want to put you through and they want you to prove to them that you're capable of being a leader in their life. And so they make it hard for you to do that, and they try to trip you up, and, and they have an attitude. Some people will absolutely turn on you when you start prospering or you get a promotion and, and, God, and in a church or in your life when God starts elevating you or blessing you. You'll see a lot of people will, will suddenly uh, get a sarcastic attitude toward you, and, and some won't want to talk to you. And the reason is because they're wanting you to prove that you can actually they can actually trust you in this next level of your life and they can put their trust in you. Happens all the time. And so they will, they will try, to, they'll, they'll try to get you to act unprofessional. They'll try to get you to step out of your calling. They'll try to get you to step out of your position by things they say, by not cooperating, by, by attitudes and things like that. And they try to get you to prove that you're not physically or emotionally or mentally capable of the, the position you've been given. Now, that's not fair, is it? But it happens. It's a whole lot better if we take a team approach and uh, we help those that have been promoted, and we actually become part of the team and help them. But, but most employees have, have an attitude about that. You know, you're kissing up or, you know, all this kind of stuff. Hey, you know, I don't understand where that all got started. You should be the best team member there is. Amen. Oh, that's good. I'm already preaching good now. <laughs> Praise God. And I've watched, I've watched as people approach God like this. When they begin to try to serve God, they begin to, they begin to try to put God through the paces to try to make, make him prove that he's, he's able to be Lord over their life. 
And so they, they test God in every measure, and most of them come to the conclusion that, no, God is not capable of being Lord over my life. You know why? Because we operate in a natural realm and God does not operate in his natural realm. And we see things as disappointment that God sees as promotions. So we don't understand it. We get, we get discouraged when God is preparing us to walk through another door. It's just we can't see the door, so we think God's not doing anything. And in our natural senses, we say, God, prove to me that you're able to be my Lord. Prove to me that I can trust you with my family. Prove to me that I can trust you with my life. Prove to me that I can trust you with my finances. And if you have that attitude, most of the time you'll fail as a child of God. You know why? Because God does not dance to your drum. What you have essentially done is you have exalted yourself above the throne of, throne of God and said, I'm going to judge you to see if you are worthy. Instead of lowering ourselves beneath the cross and crying out, you are worthy. You are worthy. You are worthy. I have, I have spent the last 40 years of my life with the attitude, though God slay me, I will trust him. That has been the cry of my life from the first time God called me to preach. I have declared that, and I've, I've walked it over and over and over. If I don't understand what's going on, I will trust him. When I lose, I will trust him. When I'm hurt, I will trust him. When everything seems to be against me, I will keep walking because I trust him, and I know that he sees a whole lot more than I do. And besides that, I am so minuscule and infinitesimal compared to the God that I serve that I don't have the right to judge his actions. Amen. So every time I think God's done me wrong, I run into the prayer room fall on my face and start crying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. You are worthy to be worshiped. You are worthy to be praised because I refuse to make an accusation against my Father and against my God. There has been times that that has been so, so difficult. Very, very, very difficult. And there's been times that I've said, God, I don't understand why, I don't understand how, don't really know where we're going. But as long as you're going, I'm going. I just want to be with you. This is what we're going to be investigating for the next nine weeks. This or this. The open hand or the closed hand before God. And we're going to find out that it actually has very little to do with money. It has everything to do with who we worship and what we're possessive of because we're all possessive. We all have a possessiveness. I'm, I'm possessive with very little thing, very little. I just really have never had a real possessive attitude. 
And, but yet there are things that I'm possessive of. And we have to come to a place where we acknowledge that. I've, I, I have enjoyed not being envious or jealous of people. I thank God for that. That is a miserable place to be. And I, I, I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it when I see people prosper, when I see people happy, when I see them being blessed. It, it, it's almost like it's happening to me because I just watch it, and it's so, it's so um, thrilling to watch people grow in life, to watch people prosper, to watch people be blessed. It hurts my heart when I see people struggling, when I see people not doing well, when I, when I see things that aren't, aren't happening right. And, and so we have to decide whether we have this or whether we have that. And that come from a vision God showed me several years ago when I first started doing missions work, and it got really hard, really fast, and it got frustrating because all of a sudden people from other countries were depending on me to help them out and to be there for them, and I wasn't able to do that. And it was really getting to me because that's one of the things that I can't stand is to not be there and to not help and not have what I need and, and to not be able to, to uh, help people. when time, If somebody's looking to me for help, it's intolerable for me to, be able to, to, to not be able to help them. You know what I'm talking about? Now, that can kill you. That attitude can kill you. You got to watch that because everybody's going to want something from you. So... As I was praying one day, complaining to God, I was not praying, I was complaining to God, I was in my office, and I'd spent about an hour or so just, just talking to God about, you know, wh wh how things aren't happening. Yeah. And finally, as my custom is, I can't stay pinned up in a room or something very long, and I have to get out and, and move. And so it was summertime. I headed out the door, and I started down the road. A lot of times I like to walk and pray because I, I do better in motion than I do sitting still. And so I'm walking down the road. I'm praying, complaining, telling God, you, you, you really need to step up to the plate here because things aren't working right. And all of a sudden... God stopped me in my tracks with a question. When God asks you a question, he already knows the answer, and he wants you to know that you don't know the answer because he's asking you a question. <laughs> and I'm walking down the road, and all of a sudden, Holy Spirit says, so you think it's my fault. I, lit, I can take you to the spot out here on the road. There's a pole over there, out there that's leaning this way because we need to replace it and it's rotted off. And right past, just past that pole is when he spoke to me and I did this number. Literally stopped in my tracks and wanted to hide somewhere. I was caught. In my heart, I thought, I have never wanted to lie so bad in my life, but he'll know. <laughs> and I stood there for a minute, and finally, finally I said, well, God, obviously I do think it's your fault because I've just spent the last two hours letting you know that it's your fault and things aren't, aren't working right. And as soon as I said that, I saw this hand 
out in front of me, just a vision of, of a hand. And this hand was open just like that. And he said, if I can find people that can live like this, I could pour the wealth of the world through their hands to finance my kingdom. But he said, every time I bless my people, they do this. And they take possession of the blessing. And he said, I can neither get it out of their hand, nor can I get anything else in their hand. And he said, you have to live like this. That has, that has directed my life ever since then. I've done my best to try to live that way. And a lot of times realizing that obviously I'm not like this because things still come hard. But if I can just get there, if I can just get there. See, there's, there's two ways to approach finances and church and ministry. One is to keep your hand open where God can pour things through you. The other is to close your hand and try to manipulate money out of people. And that's where we live today. There's a lot of manipulation going on. A lot of manipulation going on when it comes to money. It's not right. It's not good. It's unhealthy. It has come to a place where it has gotten really unhealthy. And we are about to swing the pendulum back. Because in the 70s, there was a revelation come to the church. And I'm just going to, can I just talk to you for a few minutes today? In the 70s, there was a revelation come into the house of God about finances and about blessing, about reaping, sowing and reaping. And, and, and it was, it was, it's right. It's in the Word. I just read it to you. The, the uh, verses I read to you in, in uh, 2 Corinthians there is, um, is I, I call it God's recipe for finances in the church. And it was a great revelation. But it quickly became a revelation about money instead of a re revelation about the kingdom. See, the kingdom, that revelation came so that we could blast into the territory that had been stolen by the devil and take it back and finance the kingdom of God. Instead, it became about getting wealth. Well, I can tell I'm, I'm already challenging a lot of beliefs and ideas. We're, we're go, we're, we, we've, we've split up into different camps already right here mentally. And we're about to get our guns out and start shooting each other because don't challenge what I think. Don't challenge my belief. But it, it, was, it was a good thing, but it became a bad thing. It was a good thing because you can't, do missions, you can't build churches, you can't evangelize, you can't do what we need to do without the flow of finances. It just ain't going to happen. Poor churches can't bless poor people. Blessed churches can bless people. Amen. Churches with a poverty mentality will not be able to help anybody because they're always needing help. It's the difference between manna in the wilderness or abundance in the promises. See? But the Bible is very clear about where we have to stand on this thing. 
I want you to, to look with me in Matthew chapter 6. We're, gonna, we're just going to dive into the thing. Everybody, everybody just climb up on the high dive with me, and let's just dive into this thing. I have, I have probably struggled more over these messages than any messages that I've preached. And, and I've even, I've even told, told God, I said, how about we just cut this section out? I don't really, I, I, don't, I'm, I don't like this stuff, you know. I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not a great promoter or a offering taker. You know, people ask me how, how, you know, how we've done the things that we've done. And, uh, you know, how do you take up the offerings? How do you, know, you, you build the works overseas? How do you do all this stuff? I always just look at them and say, I, I don't know. God did it. God did it. And they really glaze over when I tell them, I say, you don't understand. I've, I haven't even taken up an offering yet for this stuff. We, I haven't stood up here and begged and pleaded for money for the poor orphans. I don't believe that's what God wants us to do. If we're going to take up money for offerings, we're going to do it because it's vision, it's purpose, and it's right. Not because we feel sorry for somebody. Sympathy is one of the worst things you can use to build the kingdom of God on. Purpose, vision, and drive is what we build the kingdom of God on. Amen. Instead of saying these poor things are starving, instead I'm going to get up here and say, let's invade and take the kingdom. Amen. Take the kingdom in there. Let's go with purpose because these belong to God. Amen. It's God's property. How dare the devil touch God's property? Amen. So Matthew chapter 6. Everybody say, bless him, Lord. Verse 24. No one, this is Jesus. Everybody clear on that? This is the Son of God. Has revelation from God. I don't do anything unless God shows me. I don't say anything unless God gives it to me. Okay. No one can serve two masters. Further, he will hate the one and love the other. Or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now, this is a very powerful statement because Jesus is, is taking money, wealth, and God and putting them in opposing courts and saying, you cannot serve both of these. You either serve God or you serve mammon. Now, mammon is wealth. It just simply means wealth. It, it's, it's talking about uh, the, you know, right now we, we have money, which is a Federal Reserve note. We, it is on loan from the Federal Reserve. When you say, I've got a lot of money, you're lying to yourself because the Federal Reserve owns everything in your billfold and your bank account. And all they have to do is decide they're not going to give it to you anymore, and you no longer have any money. Well, that just makes us all feel cheery, doesn't it? <laughs> we, we work all of our lives, pay off a house, and live on a house, and then we find out that if we have problems and can't pay the taxes on that property, the state or the county or, or whatever will come and take that away from you. In other words, they're just letting you borrow it and live on it even though you have spent your life pouring into that and paying for it. Man, we could get into some stuff right there, amen. 
Taxation without representation. Let's go. Pitchforks and fire. Let's go. So when we when we look at it, it's mammon has to do with wealth. Some you know, some in years past they traded with with stuff. The, whoever had the most salt was the richest person. They traded in salt. Back in the 1700s or 1500s, back in in England, did you know a lot of the sayings we have came from the 1500s in England? Like chewing the fat. You ever heard that? I was just sitting around chewing the fat. You know where that came from? That's back when people were so poor they couldn't have any meat. And and if if you was if you was wealthy enough to have some pork in your house, then you'd invite guests over and you'd sit around and eat the fat off the pork, off the off the bacon. And 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 they called that chewing the fat, just getting together and chewing the fat. And we still say that and have no earthly idea what we're saying. Bringing home the bacon. Yeah. <laughs> we, still, we still use that term about bringing home money, bringing home the bacon. That's what that's talking about. If you was wealthy, it meant you had bacon hanging in your house. And you could eat some bacon. That means you was wealthy because you made enough that you traded and you was able to get some bacon and we still say that stuff from back in the 1500s you'd think we would change some things you know well we have sick now means good and i refuse to say that sick means bad somebody walked up and looked at my harley here while back and said that's a sick bike and i said well You ain't had a whooping lately, have you? <laughs> Talk about my Harley like that. It ain't sick. It runs very well, thank you. See, we change stuff like that, and yet we still talk about bringing home the bacon. A lot of things, I can go into a lot of stuff. You know, dead ringer. Nobody knows where, man, that's a dead ringer. Nobody knows where you got that. That, that was from back when they used to bury people alive. And, and not know that they were still alive. And they realized they was burying people alive because they drank out of lead, uh, they, they drank alcohol out of lead mugs. And sometimes the chemical reaction between alcohol and the lead would put them into a coma to where their hearts was barely beating and they would think they was dead. So they would take them out and bury They didn't embalm people back then. And so they would take them out and bury them. They didn't know they were burying live people until they dug that cemetery, one of the cemeteries up and found scratch marks on the inside of the casket. And then they realized they had been burying people alive. So they decided that now what we're going to do is we'll drill a hole in the little wooden casket and we'll tie a string around the finger of the person and run it up out of the grave and hang a bell on the, by the grave and if the person, if the bell started ringing, that meant we had to dig them up fast, sitting up with the dead. That's where it came from. They would sit out there all night long waiting to see if that bell rung. And we still use that terminology. Boy, it's a dead ringer. 
Well, you don't even know what you're saying. You know, we, we use a terminology. So we've got a lot of terminology. We've got a lot of ideas. We've got a lot of things that we need to get clarified in our heart when it comes to God and money. You cannot serve God and mammon, okay? Now, I want to break this down. What the word serve, mammon means wealth. But the word serve, it means to willingly... A master, you cannot have two masters. A master means one who exercises power over. Servant is simply a willing, a person that is willingly subjected to a master. Not a slave, but a servant. Someone that is willingly subject, subjected to a master. Now, a slave is somebody that is unwillingly subjected to a master. But he's talking about a servant. Somebody that is willingly subjected. It, and, and he uses the words love, hate, loyal, despise. And so what he's saying is you cannot have your loyalty to two places. You cannot love two masters. You can't serve a master over here and serve a master over here. You've got to decide who you serve, okay? Now, none of this is saying that having money is bad, Okay? This isn't, this isn't a, a thing that says, oh, man, we, gotta, you know, we can't have money. Like I said, a, a poor church can't bless poor people. We can't do anything. We can't build anything. You know, we got that, that poverty mentality. And, and, you know, if God helps somebody, if they, they get blessed and, and drive a new car to church, there will be somebody in that congregation say, well, look at them. Just look at that. When I, brought, when I bought that brand new Harley, I got, I got so many sarcastic remarks from buying that brand new Harley, you know. I worked hard to get that Harley. I'm proud of that Harley. Amen. You can say anything you want to. I like it. I paid for it. I paid it off. Woo! <laughs> Doesn't matter. But what is it? It's, it's the fact that people have this greed, and greed has nothing to do with how much money you have in the bank. Greed has everything to do with your, your, your outlook on possessions, on wealth, and on God, okay? So when we're talking about God or mammon, do we, do we love one? Do we love God? Do we love mammon? There, there's, there's people that absolutely love money. I mean, love money. There's a difference between rich people and wealthy people. I learn, I've learned this by, by working for people. And being around people. There's a difference between rich people and wealthy people. Rich people see themselves as a reservoir with a channel coming in and hardly anything going out. They see themselves as a reservoir that needs to be uh, widened and widened and widened. And their, their desire is to continually get that reservoir bigger and bigger and bigger. And, and they will do anything in their power to keep from paying you anything. If you work for them, they will, they will do their best to try to not to pay you what they owe you, even though they got lots of money. Irritating. Irritating to try to have to work for people like that. I mean, they got all kinds of money, and you make an honest wage, and then they start trying to get out of it, trying to figure out how not to pay you. That's rich people. Wealthy people, on the other hand, they're like a big lake with many 
tributaries coming in, but like Tabor Rock Dam, they can let out as much as they want to, and they can feed a river because they see themselves as a flow and not a reservoir. Those are wealthy people. Those are the people that understand the flow of finances. They understand the power of being able to help people. And when you do a job for them, they do not gripe about having to pay you. They are happy to pay you. Matter of fact, they get excited about being able to pay you. I love working for people like that. Maybe you turn your time in and they say, you know, you did such a good job, I'm going to just up this. That's nice. But only people that have a wealthy mentality and understand the flow do that. Amen. Now, in a church, you have the same thing. You knew I was going to get down here, didn't you? <laughs> you have the people that, that can't hardly stand for the church to pass the plate because all they want is money. And yet, you go... To stores. Whoa, it's getting tight. Hey, boy, that hurt. Oh, that hurt my back pocket. I've watched people joyfully and gleefully pay out hundreds of dollars to go have a couple of hours of entertainment and come to church and get irritated because the pastor took up an offering. What is that? It's greed. If it doesn't serve me, I'm not going to let go of my money. I'm going to get back. It's getting tough. Come on. Praise God. Don't get, don't get mad enough to try to take some swings at me because sometimes I'm not sanctified. <laughs> I've, had, I've had people tell me that they're going to whoop me. And I, I've told them, okay. I had one guy tell me, he said, I almost jumped up in church and knocked, just knocked your teeth out. I said, really? He said, yeah, you came down preaching down the aisle that I was on. And he said, I, I just, I, I just want to, he said, I can take you. <laughs> I said, what? He said, yeah, I can take you. And I got up real close to him, got right up in his ear, patted him. And I said, you need to understand two things. There's something really wrong with you. Number one. And number two, don't ever try it. <laughs> and I patted him on the face like this and said, bless you, brother. <laughs> we just had a moment. <laughs> See, people get, people get fired up about stuff that doesn't matter. And it's like, what in the world fired you up? It's, it's what we hold as a possession that we treasure and don't want to let go of. Amen. Now, the message I'm preaching today and the way I'm going at it would really irritate a lot of people. You might be one of them. Okay? Pray through. You'll be all right. 
because we, if we are going to be blessed people of God, we're going to have to get over the whole money issue and learn that that is not what God is about. God does not care about money. God doesn't care if he loses money or gains money. God, you can, you can gain $10 million, God feels totally unmoved by it. You can lose $10 million, God feels totally unmoved by it. Why? Because he did not create money. He does not care about money. He doesn't care about any of it because he owns the world anyway. Anyway, it's all his. We are just borrowing what he has. It's his stuff. It's his house. It's his wood. It's his food. It's everything belongs to God. What God cares about is you. He cares about your heart. He cares about who your loyalty is to, and he cares about what is controlling you. That's what God cares about. Amen. Money is the least of everything. We'll get to this later. But money is at, the Bible says, Jesus says that money is the least of everything. It is not the most of everything. It is the least of everything. Amen. But the Bible does say that if we have to prove ourselves to be faithful and unrighteous mammon in order to be promoted. Why? Because our attitude toward it will determine whether we can be trusted. Because it has a power over people it has a power over us and yet God has said that he will bless us in finances it's biblical and he will I'll never forget the first time when me and Betty's first married you know back in the back in the great depression of the early 80s everybody thinks that happened in the 20s it did not it happened in the early 80s late 70s early 80s was the great depression because we lived through it and we didn't have anything. I mean, we didn't have food in the house. We didn't have gas, gas in our cars. The economy around here totally crashed. I mean, you know, that's when interest rates went, went out of sight and everything. And, and so we were, we were doing our best to serve God. We were doing our best to, to do what we knew to do. And, and uh, I worked for whatever I could do. You know, uh, construction just shut down. And that's what I grew up in. That's what we did. And construction just shut down. Sister Betty had a job at a bank. And thankfully, they stayed open because they was charging 20-some percent on everybody's money. So they was doing, whoop, great. And so Sister Betty still had a job. And, uh, you know, it was just tough. And we were saying it on the street of, on, on the main street of Hollister, which is just a little tiny place. We were singing on the main street of Hollister, singing our choir from the church here was down there, and we were singing on the street and people had gathered across the street and all around us and they were they were listening to us sing and I was standing there and I saw a guy across the street that had two little girls and all we had to our name at that time was the ten dollars I had in my pocket and that was for gas and 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 whatever else we could we could get with ten dollars wouldn't go very far would it And so I'm standing there, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit just spoke to my heart and said, walk over and give that man that $10. And I I got to singing really hard. (laughs) I got focused on my worship because that $10 is all I had. And he's wanting me to give, give it away. 
And all of a sudden, I got real spiritual. I got my eyes closed. You know, you're not spiritual unless your eyes are closed. I got, I got real spiritual, got my eyes closed where I couldn't see that guy. And Holy Spirit just kept prompting my heart. And so, so finally, in my normal fashion, I got my billfold out, got that $10 out, and I left everybody up there, and I, just, I walked across the street to this guy, and I said, God told me to give this to you. He grabbed that $10, never even said thank you. He grabbed that $10, and he did this. And he grabbed his girl's hands, and off he went. Never even said thank you. Got real excited, though. I thought to myself, he's heading for the liquor store. Sure as I'm standing here, he's heading for that liquor store. You know, that's how, what I thought. I don't know where he went. But God told me to give that. And so I, I released it. I, I would like to say that it was completely willingly, but it's more out of obedience than anything else. And so the next day, well, that was Saturday. The next day was Sunday. We drove over here to the church. And... Uh, I've, I've tried to get Sister Betty to leave the doors of our car unlocked ever since then, but she won't. She always locks them. But I, we left the car doors unlocked on our car because back, back then we didn't have anything to steal. <laughs> that, old, that old car we was driving was in pretty bad shape, and I didn't think anybody wanted it. And after church, we walked out there, opened the door, there's $125 in the, in, the, in the seat of our car. And I turned around. I looked everywhere. Nobody around. Quickly reached in there, grabbed that money, put it in my pocket. And it was like, wow. In one day, because I obeyed, God turned that thing around. In one day. Amen. Now listen, at that point I had a choice. I could either say, Woo, I just found out how to get some money. I can get more money. I can get more money. Yeah. This I can I can just keep getting woo, I can just keep getting more money. I could have got focused on money, or I could get focused on who it was that blessed me. And I just decided to start worshiping God with all my heart and realizing that he's got this thing. He's got this thing. Amen. I'm going to, I'm not, I got, there's, a, there's so much we need to cover on this, okay? And I don't want to just leave you with a bad attitude of uh, money's bad, you know, and all this kind of stuff. Money, money is, is just money. It's nothing. It's the least of everything. It's, it's not something to serve. It's not something to get all excited about. It is a tool. It is a tool to use. It is a tool to use in your life. Possessions are not things that fill your life. They are things that help your life, but they do not fill your life. They are just things and they'll break down on you and they'll rot and they'll tear up and you can build a brand new house and in five years you have to spend more money on it buy a brand new washer and dryer and in just a short time you got to start putting parts on them and everything tears up it all goes back to to what it, it, it ends up in the trash we just gotta have it gotta have it gotta have it and it just ends up in the trash 
But there's one thing that never ends up in the trash. That's the presence of God. That's the glory of God. His presence is more than anything. Amen. And what I'm trying to get us, I'm trying to get our mindsets right today in a few minutes. I mean, I have I have just done enough to stir everybody up here this morning and, and get you in your corner. But if I can just if I can just get you to get your mind focused on the fact that God loves you. God cares about you, and we're going to get into the rest of this later on, that he cares so much about you that if he, if he clothes the grass of the field, if he, if he feeds the birds of the air, are you not more important than them? Amen. But then it says in verse 33, but seek ye first. The kingdom of God is righteous, and all these things will be added. I'm going to tell you today that God could bless, what, what's that? old hillbilly term, God will bless your socks off. I don't know what that means, but it's probably from 1500s in England. <laughs> like where we got, it's raining cats and dogs. That, that, you know, we got that from back then, you know, because cats and dogs got up on the, 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 the grass roofs, you know, that they put the, whatever they call flat roofs, and when it starts raining, it gets slick, and the cats and dogs start sliding off the roof. And that's where the term comes, it's raining cats and dogs. We probably got blessing your socks off from the same way. I don't know what happened to their socks. I don't know how it blessed their socks off, but we got that. But God will bless your socks off if you can just get to the point where you understand that provision is to give you to fulfill purpose. It is not your purpose. Wow, I need to explain a whole bunch more of this. But I'm going to have to shut it down. Amen.